Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the Old Testament in the book of Esther, the fourth chapter, the fourteenth verse. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Christ Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, dear friends, you who are here in God's house this morning, you who are the listeners of our radio audience, and especially you, the 43 young men and women, the high school graduates of our church and of our Sunday school. This is your baccalaureate service. You have come, young friends, to God's house this morning in order to hear a message from the Word of God. As you say farewell to your high school days and as you take a look, at your future. I wonder how many of you have spent long moments in the last several weeks on this perplexing question. Does God really guide my life? Does God really lead me? Does God really direct me? Or is God the kind of a God who allows me to flounder as best I can, to grope as a blind man and to feel my way along in life? Does God really lead me? Where is the guidance of God that I can have some assurance that my life can be beautiful, that it can be worthwhile, and that it can be most satisfying? How many of you have spent many an hour on that question, does God guide you as high school days are over and you are now looking to the future? I would like to, at this baccalaureate service, assure you, young men and women, that God does lead you, that God is hopelessly and gloriously concerned in your life, that he leads you every inch of the way and that your life can be beautiful. It can be most satisfying and most complete that God never for a moment allows you to flounder and to grope in the darkness trying to feel your way, wondering where to go. And I would like to impress that truth on your minds by calling to your attention an incident that happened in the Old Testament about 500 years before Jesus came into human history. It was back at the time after the children of Israel, the southern kingdom had been destroyed and Nebuchadnezzar had taken them in the year 586 B.C. into captivity down in Babylon. Then you know the Babylonian Empire fell and the Medes and the Persians came to power. And the man on the throne was the Persian king called Ahasuerus or Xerxes. One night, as he was giving a party there in Persia, and they were drunken with wine, he ordered that his wife, Vashti, should come and display herself before a group of drunken men. She refused to do so, and so he banished her as queen. 
And so then his porchers went out into the land of Persia to find someone who would take the place of Vashti, who would be the queen of Persia. And they found a very beautiful little girl. She was a Jewess, and her name was Esther, which means star. Her Hebrew name was Hadessa, which means Stella. This little star, little Estralita, because of her beauty, she was brought to Susa, and the king picked her as his queen. He did not know, however, that she was a Jewess. That information was kept from her. The man who stood next to the king was a man by the name of Haman. We would call him the prime minister. And because Esther had been an orphan child and had been reared by an older cousin who had adopted her and he became her guardian, this man, Mordecai was his name, he stayed near the palace that he might communicate with Esther who was now the queen of Persia. And because this man, Mordecai, again, realized that being a Jew he would bow to no man, Haman, the prime minister, hated him because Haman thought that he was a god and he wanted everybody to do obeisance to him. But Mordecai refused, and so Haman planned that he was going to kill Mordecai, and more than that, he was going to exterminate the entire Jewish race. There was going to be genocide, and by duping the king, he had the king sign an edict that on a certain day in Persia, the Persians would rise up and they would kill these alien people that every Jew would be exterminated, and of course that would mean also Queen Esther herself. And then it was that Mordecai, in communicating to Esther, told her, he said, Esther, you must do something. The fate of our people depends upon you. And then he spoke the words of this text. He says, Who knows, Esther, whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? How do you know but what God has led you, Esther, that he has guided you, a little Jewish girl, to become the queen of Persia for such a crisis when your entire race is at stake? God guided Esther, and may I assure you, when you have asked yourself the question, does God lead me, does God guide me, does God have anything to do with choices in my life, I want to assure you that God has. He is hopelessly involved in your life. God leads and guides who are not left to flounder alone. And you may say, but it's hard to see. I, I see no evidence of God in my life. You may look and you say, the events of my life, are, they're ordinary, they're commonplace, they're trite, they're rather trivial. I fail to see the hand of God. I'd like for these moments this morning as we are here in God's house, I would like to show you on the basis of Esther that God does lead and direct your life and that if you will look with the eye of faith on those little inconsequential events in your life, you will see that God is hopelessly and gloriously involved in your life every inch of the way and every day that you aren't left to founder alone. In the first place, I would remind you of this, that perhaps again God is leading you for such a day as this, even as he led Esther, that in the first place God has led you to be born in this era, and he has led you to know Jesus Christ. Don't you think Esther thought many a time, I wonder why I was born an alien down in Persia instead of over in Palestine where my people had come from? Don't you imagine that Esther wondered at times, why have my parents died? Why am I an orphan? Why was I born with the beauty that I have been born with? Uh, how does it come that I was born in this age? 
You know, when I was in Egypt, down in, again, Luxor, 450 miles south of Cairo, and I saw the great temple of Ramses II, and I realized the heathenism of Egypt back 2,000 years before Christ, you know, the thought came to my mind, I wonder how it was like to have been born then. Then I said to myself, I wonder why I wasn't born then. When I saw again the pyramids in Egypt, again the pyramids of Cheops, and I said again to myself, I wonder why I was born in the 20th century, not back there 2,000 years before Christ. When I stood in the cave of the bulls, when the Egyptians worshipped the sacred bull, and again, steeped in heathenism, I thought to myself, I wonder why I was born now and not back there. Did you ever wonder why you were born in the 20th century? God moves in a mysterious way. We have just sung, haven't we? But again, God must direct your life because you were born now, not 2,000 years ago. Why were you born into the home that you were born in? How does it come you have the father and mother that you have, not somebody else's father and mother? Does God guide you in this era? Most assuredly, he does, even as he was guiding Esther. And above all, in this guidance, God guided you to know Jesus Christ. Many of you were seated here on Palm Sunday four years ago, weren't you? After, again, your days of catechism, when you were led by your parents to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You heard the story of God's Son who came into this world and became a human being and went to Calvary and suffered and died for the sins of the world. When he gave a complete atonement for sins and that in him, through trust in him, there is forgiveness, life, and salvation. You came to know him as Lord. And you may say, what is the guidance of God? Where is his leading? Does God care about my life? Is his hand in the shaping of my human days from day to day? And my answer is yes, unequivocally. God is hopelessly involved in your life. You again have been led to Jesus Christ, and therefore God still guides you in the ways of right, so that in the ways of right in which you are to walk in the future, you may not lose that life and salvation which is yours in him. Ours is an amazing God, young friends. The matter of right and wrong is something that is absolute in his sight. Right is not something relative that it changes today and that what is right today is wrong tomorrow or that what is wrong now 50 years may be right, not at all. The rightness of God because God is immutable and he is changeless, that rightness stands throughout time and it stands throughout all eternity. What is right is always right in the sight of God. What is wrong is always desperately wrong. And as God guides you from day to day on the basis of the knowledge that you have of him, guiding you in the ways of right, God guides you every inch of the way, calling upon you at all times. Do that which is right, lest you lose Jesus Christ. God is hopelessly and gloriously involved in your life. He does lead you. He guides you, even as he was guiding Esther, little Estralita, 500 years before Jesus came to the world. And that's why today I would say to you, I hope that you go out of church this morning believing this, that God has his finger in your life. I want you to go out with this assurance, regardless of anything, that God leads and God guides. If you will go out of church with that conviction this morning, then I know this, you'll have daily contact with him. I want to be very honest and frank with you. You will never be seated, of course, like this again in this church, will you? This is it. And another thing, if there's ever a loss in the church, it's after this Sunday. Rather strange, isn't it? But why is it that some say, I've gone to church all my life, and this is the end. The apron strings are cut, I'm going to live my own life. I know my parents have brought me to church, but I'm going to find out what it is not to go to church. There isn't anybody can stop you, isn't that right? 
From now on, you're on your own. I know you're 18, you're not 21, but you're on your own. The great drop in the church comes now. Be very honest with you and reckon with you. Well, that's when the dip comes. If we're going to lose you, we're going to lose you after high school. Because again, you can say, I can live my life as I please. I'll do as I please. I don't have to obey my parents. I don't have to do anything but what I want to do. But if you can go out of church this morning knowing this, that God does lead your life and he does direct that life and God is hopelessly involved and gloriously so, you will have daily contact. You'll keep it up and you'll go to church. And you'll hear the word. And again, Jesus Christ will still live in your hearts. Here was again a man by the name of Haman who was threatening the extinction of an entire race of people, the Jew. May I say that happened 500 years before Christ, but don't forget, it also happened in our day too. Don't forget Adolf Hitler. This thing of genocide was tried in his day. Yes, when he wandered away from God and that which was right, when a man does that, a man is a dangerous man. And six million Jews, don't forget, went into the gas chambers of Buchenwald and Dachau. Human beings created in the image of God, gassed, because a man tried to exterminate the Jewish race, just like Haman did of old. You have no idea what a potential you have for wickedness without Jesus Christ. A painter tells the story that he wanted to paint Jesus and all the twelve disciples. He started with Jesus. It was a number of years later that he wanted to get a man to typify Judas. And he went out again to the lower sections of the town, to the underworld, and he picked a man that looked in just like Judas. When he was painting him one day, the man that he was painting as Judas looked at him and he says, I was the man that you used years ago to be the Christ. It's not a very long way from being a Christian to being a Hitler who would exterminate an entire race of people. You do not know what you can do when you forget that God guides you. And that's why speaking to you face to face and heart to heart, I hope that when you go out of this church this morning, you have the assurance that God does lead, he does guide. And God is hopelessly concerned in your life that you're going to say, therefore, I'm going to live close. And I'm not going to forget him because who knows the potential of evil that can come in any man's life without Jesus Christ. You may say, well, uh, my life is, oh, it's inconsequential. The events of my life, uh, there's nothing extraordinary. There's nothing great or pretentious. Uh, I, I fail to see the evidence that God has something to do in the guidance of my life. And I want to assure you that he does. Just as again, Mordecai said to Esther, who knoweth whether thou art not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. God's leading you for such a crisis. God leads you. Don't you ever forget it. He guides you. He is hopelessly involved in your life. Because in the second place, I want to assure you this, that God, again, has led you to be endowed in a most unique and singular way. Have you ever realized, and I know you have, just how different you are from the man sitting alongside you or the girls? You've seen it in school, haven't you? Why is it that you look at some and you say, oh, I wish I had that guy's brain? Maybe you've looked at some of these girls and say, I, I wish that I had her ability and talent. Isn't it strange? You you've noticed a difference, haven't you? Maybe you've gone into an inferiority complex. You know, it's easy to do, isn't it? When I turn over a radio set or look at the back of it and see all those wires, I get weak all over. Uh, because to me, it's, it's a maze I don't understand. And I'm doing good with the television set uh, to get the picture in focus. I don't know what I'd ever do if something was wrong. If an automobile to run had to depend upon my fixing it, it would never run. 
Now, shall you get a, a very feeling of inferiority? No, again, there are some things we can do and there are some things we can't do. There was Esther. Again, uniquely situated and endowed, she was a beautiful girl. But oh, what qualities she must have had. When finally Mordecai told her, he says, your race depends upon you, Esther. You've got to go into the king and you've got to tell him that he's been duped, that he signed a death warrant for our nation. You've got to tell him you're a Jewess. And you've got to tell him that on a certain day we're all going to be killed. Well, again, if you understand the rule of the Persians, no one dare walk into the presence of the king without first having been summoned. And it was punishable by death. But Esther was a clever woman, to be sure. She was a wise and a person as a serpent and harmless as a dove. She used tact. She dressed up beautifully that day. And again, then she was going to walk in on her husband. She hadn't seen him for months. Walk in on him unannounced. And if he would hold up the golden scepter, that would mean she could come in. If he didn't hold it up, it means she would be taken out and killed. And she said to Mordecai, I go and if I perish, I perish. And again, with a prayer on her lips, she walked into the presence of her husband, the king of Persia. She looked and she wondered what he was going to do. And when he saw her, he lifted up the golden scepter and he held it out to her. And she walked up and she touched it and she bowed before him. And he said, what do you want? And then she told him, she said, I want to give a banquet for you and for Haman, the prime minister. And the king said, all right. And so they had a meal that day. Then the king said, what is on your heart? And she says, I'll give another banquet for you too tomorrow and I'll tell you. And the next day, the king and Haman were together and there was Esther. And finally she stood up. Again, little Estralita, a little Jewish exile girl, a little orphan. And she stood up before the king of Persia and she said, You have been duped, O king. You have been duped to sign the death warrant for the nation of aliens that live among you. And she says, I am a Jewess. And if this is carried out, I shall be killed. The king in rage looked at her and he said, Who caused me to do that? And she says, Haman, your high, again, your prime minister. And he had done it and he had duped and full in rage. The king walked out of the room and Haman threw himself on the couch where Esther was lying when the king walked in, he said, Would you even besmirch my wife? And Haman had secretly built a gallows in his own yard because he was going to hang Mordecai, because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And the king ordered Haman to be hanged on the gallows that he prepared for another. And because in the laws of the Persians no law could be rescinded, the king issued another edict, and he says, You Jews may defend yourselves. When the day came, the Jews defended themselves, and 75,000 Persians were killed. But they were not exterminated because of the heroism of Esther. Of Esther, who again had been endowed by God, and God led her through again the circumstances of life to fulfill her mission. I hope you go out of church this morning with this conviction, young friends, that God does lead you, he guides you, and he directs you that your life can be beautiful and it can be worthwhile and it can be satisfying. And if you can go out with that conviction again, as God through circumstances will lead you to find your mission, your mission in life, then you're going to submit to it when God calls you and leads you to see your responsibilities. Some of you may say, well, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm worried. I don't know what I want to do. I, it, the answer doesn't come. Does God guide me? Will God guide me and lead me to my mission in life? And my answer is yes. If you will watch the opportunities and the circumstances of life. If you'll pardon a 
my own illustration in life, I'd like to tell you my story. When I entered Cap University, I wasn't certain that I was going to be a minister. I was hovering between ministry and medicine, one or the other. I wasn't sure. When I returned to Cap University in my sophomore year in college, it so happened that I had discovered that I had a large stone in my kidney. I was not in good shape. I lasted out the year, and I remember taking my final examination, just a young lad, 19 years old, took the final examination, and that stone started to act up, and I was a pretty miserable person. I took the first train to St. Louis that I could get out. I didn't want to be sick in Columbus. I called my urologist, and I told him that something was wrong. And for the first time I got to see him, I'll never forget when I was being examined by him. He looked at me and he said, how long has this been going on? And I told him, and then he looked at me and he said, I hope you don't lose a kidney. I know what it means to lie on a hospital bed alone, 19-year-old boy, a lot of ambition and wanting to do something in life, then being told you might lose a kidney. Life almost folded that day. I wondered, uh, oh, to be a minister, to go through life with just one kidney. God and I had quite a conversation that day, and I asked God that if it were his will that he'd save that kidney for me, that I was willing to give him my life, to surrender it and to uh, be a minister that I had in mind. It seemed that God was calling in that circumstance like he had never called before. Well, the stone was removed, the kidney was checked and double-checked, as urologists do, and he came in and he said to me, your kidney isn't damaged at all, you can be a healthy minister. And I say this in the deepest sense of humility and appreciation. This coming week, it'll be 33 years since I graduated from the Cap University Seminary. I've been in the ministry 33 years, and I've never missed one Sunday for illness in 33 years. I want you to know that as far as I'm concerned, from the depth of my soul, God does lead and God, God does guide. And as this church has grown to the largest Lutheran church in the Ohio district of the American Lutheran Church, Believe you me, the responsibilities are tremendous. But the health that God has given amazes me. Don't you ever forget. God does lead and guide and direct you. And I ask you, when you see his hand, accept it and surrender. Yours will be the joy of fulfilling your mission, your mission in life. And that's the greatest joy. Life can be beautiful. It can be worth living. There was Queen Esther, and you may say, uh, what am I going to do? What does God want? You look at the future. Does God guide and direct? Does he care? Uh, don't I just flounder as a blind man, groping my way and just feel my way along and I don't know what I'm supposed to do and why I'm alive? Listen, I want you to know this, that from the depth of my soul, I believe God does lead and he guides you and he directs you. He is hopelessly and gloriously involved in your life. There's never a moment of any day that he doesn't guide you. You may say, well, where's the evidence? And I would mention in the third place is that God leads you to love and he leads you to be loved, doesn't he? Love is a marvelous thing, isn't it? You may say, who am I going to marry? Talk about love again. God made us male and female, didn't he? 
Yes, sex was a beautiful thing. That's the way God made us. And yet love again was to use sex that it might be used to God's glory. I like to define love. Love is that which is left when sex has been satisfied. Isn't it strange that maybe some of you already have experienced that God has led you to love somebody else? It's a thrilling thing, isn't it? But you say, well, why do I love so-and-so? Somebody else may say to you, well, how can you love her? And they say to you, how can you love him? And you say, oh, but I do. And again, he may be homely, again, all the things that may be wrong, but something about love to one person. And isn't it the joy of life to be loved, to know that somebody cares? As one man says, the joy of my life is this, to know that somebody cares whether I get home for supper on time. God does lead you. And may I assure you that when God leads you and guides you in this thing of love, and you find someone that you'd love to live with and he with you, and you can consummate it in matrimony, God will lead you. That life can be beautiful because, listen, your home, God would want it such. It ought to be a veritable foretaste of heaven. Bear in mind, it doesn't depend upon how much money you're going to make. It doesn't depend upon the name you make in life. But when God Almighty leads your life and directs it, and he is hopelessly involved and gloriously so, God will lead your life that your home can be a bit of heaven on earth. And if it isn't, it's because you didn't let God guide you and you didn't let him lead you. There was little Esther, yes, the little Jewish girl and orphan girl and exile. She may have said to herself over and over again, and I, a little Jewish girl, should become the queen, the queen of the king of Persia. Oh, you know, about this man, Ahasuerus, he, he desperately loved her. He must have adored the ground she walked on. They were married for five years when she walked in that day, and he held out the scepter to her. Again, there was something about her that he loved and as history goes on again he was followed by his son her stepson and that was again Artaxerxes and he was the man that sent Nehemiah over to rebuild Jerusalem and build the wall and to fortify the city what a place Esther had in the plan of God you may say well what did it mean that she was the one that saved the Jewish race from extermination young friends don't forget Christ came from the Jewish race what would have happened had on that day in Persia had there been simply an extermination and over in Palestine because Persia ruled the world that every Jewish man and woman and child would have been killed. Jesus came from, again, the chosen people, the Jew. God used a little slave girl, Estralita, and she saved the nation. And today the Jew still celebrates the Feast of Purim. The word pure means, again, a lot. Haman cast a lot on the day when he was going to exterminate the Jew. And they celebrate the Feast of Purim, which commemorates the time when God used little Estralita to save a nation that Christ came from the Jewish line, the Lord and Savior. I hope you go out of church this morning, high school friends, knowing this, that as you face the future, God does lead you, he does direct you, he guides you, he is hopelessly, gloriously involved in your life. And I hope you go out with grateful hearts that as you surrender to his will, you can thank God uh, that he really is that much concerned about you. And I hope also that you will thank God that you live in a nation where you can allow God to lead and you can do as God leads. You realize what it means that America is our native land. Yesterday was Memorial Day. 
when again we honored our soldier dead, the men and the women who have given of their lives that this nation could be free, that this nation of the people and by the people and for the people should not perish from the earth. Let me tell you, you've got to get out of this nation a little bit in order to appreciate it. When I was behind the Iron Curtain and in nations again where a man wasn't free, when I came back to America, I was ready to get down on my knees and kiss the ground. That's what it meant. You can't appreciate it until you get out of here. If you don't like this nation, this is the greatest under heaven, let me assure you. And as young citizens, listen, go out and know this, that in this land that it's so great and it's so marvelous, that you can fulfill your mission in life and God can lead you and you can fulfill it. Then stand on tiptoe and wait and see what is in store for you. Last Friday night, you remember, President Johnson was down in his hometown in Texas. And he gave the commencement address at the little high school from which he graduated. Do you remember the thing that he said over and over again? That he just, he was amazed. He said this in that speech before that small group. He said, 40 years ago, I was graduated from this high school. And he said, I just can't believe, I just can't believe that the path has led from this high school to the White House. You see what he was acknowledging how God had directed and guided his life from that little high school in Texas to the White House to become president of the United States. Go out of church this morning. Remember Esther? Estrelita, little star. Let her restore faith in you that God Almighty who runs the universe, he is hopelessly involved in your life. He leads you and he guides you and as you go along the glory road, I hope that you surrender to your Lord and that you say, I'm going to let God guide and I'm going to walk with Jesus Christ, that you can sing on the glory road the hymn that you've sung so often, living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. This is the pathway of blessing for me. God bless you. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.